This is Ed Cohen, editor and publisher of Global HR News and GlobalBusinessNews.net, and your host today on GlobalRadioTalkShow.com. Our special guest today is Mr. Tony Patio at GMS. He is a global mobility leader, well-known in Houston and the oil industry, and an international HR professional. We're going to be talking today about global mobility operational excellence. What is it? How does it develop? What's the end game? Let's welcome Mr. Tony Patio. Hello, Tony. Hello, Ed. Good to be with you. Yeah, thanks a lot for being here. Today is Valentine's Day. It's February 14, 2019. The time in San Diego, California is 1.08 p.m. And you're in Houston, correct? Correct. I'm in Houston. Right. So you've been in the relocation industry a long time, haven't you? Yeah, I've been working in global mobility since about 2002. I did not start my career off in global mobility. I started off in accounting and finance, spent most of my career at Shell Oil Company is where I got my first taste of global mobility. Since Shell, I've had increasing positions of seniority working in the global mobility space, and it's been quite rewarding for me. Well, that's great. Yes, I've heard you speak at NFTC and some of the other events, and I was fortunate to have you at a recent Houston meeting that uh, Global HR News produced, so thank you. I want to ask you about, well, so many changes going on, the impact of the new generation, the impact of technology, the impact of geopolitics on international mobility planning. There's so many things going on, and not least of which is this idea or drive by some that global mobility needs to be more strategic. So what say you? Global mobility serves a very specific operational purpose, but I know that you have some insight on this. Why don't we start off? Let me ask you, what about global mobility? Will it always remain functional or can it have a seat at the table? Or does it already have a seat at the table? Those are all good questions, Ed. I believe by the nature of global mobility, by default, it will always be an operational function. We will always be tactical because we are charged with getting a person from country A to country B. At the same time, I've read numerous surveys and I've listened to numerous people talk about needing global mobility to be more strategic. So as a global mobility professional or anyone that works in the global mobility space, we sort of have this catch-22 where we've got to deliver operationally, but we also have the business and senior leaders asking global mobility to be strategic. So we find ourselves in this catch-22. What I propose is that we will always be an operational function, but we can become more strategic by delivering operational excellence. Okay. So the operational excellence means what? Motivating the team of stakeholders. Is that correct? It's a little bit more than that. To me, it has to do with having a global mobility function that has the proper framework in place ensuring that the function is fit for purpose 
and that you've got efficient processes in place. And these will lead to what I call global mobility operational excellence. And one feeds off the other. And you've heard me talk about this global mobility pyramid. And this pyramid centers on having framework at the bottom of the pyramid, at the next level of the pyramid as you go up, ensuring that your global mobility function is fit for purpose. And what I mean by fit for purpose is that you look at your organization and ensure that it's fit for purpose to support the company, that you've got the right staff size, that you've got staff location in the right locations, that you've got after-hour support if necessary. Also, you need to restructure your organization to ensure that you've got the right person in the right job and that these individuals also have the right skill sets. And further, clarifying roles and responsibilities within the global mobility function, but not only within, within the global mobility function, with your global mobility partners as well, for example, HR, talent, your global mobility vendors. So these are the things that comprise what I call fit for purpose, which is the next step in the pyramid. Yes. So I want to back up a little bit into one of the concepts you, you talked about. It sounds so obvious, but I'm sure it goes deeper. And that is, is that if you do a good job in managing the tasks of operational mobility things, then you get noticed. I mean, there's no problem. Problems come up and they're solved quickly, professionally. And the C-suite or other stakeholders take note of that for sure. And that is a ticket to ride then, isn't it? And yeah, I mean, that gets you a seat at the table, right? You're absolutely right, Ed. These things feed off each other. If you're able to deliver operationally and become efficient and, and you're able to get a person from point A to point B efficiently each and every time, then yes, you get a seat at the table. But also, as you do this, when I talk about this global mobility pyramid and when you work your way up the pyramid, you're also engaging your partners that you need to ensure that you're able to deliver efficiently. So by partners, I mean the business unit, vendors, HR, comp and benefits, talent, tax, finance, and legal. In global mobility, we have relationships with all of these other functions. So if you build these partnerships with all of these other functions and deliver, as you just said, they will start to seek you out. I like to say when you engage, then you get engaged, meaning that these functions will start to come to you for advice. Thus, you become strategic. So let's go back to the framework stage, because this is where the rubber meets the road, if you will. So. There's so many vendors. There seems to be so much duplication. Is that correct? Yeah, you're correct. There's so many vendors uh, these days, as you know, just as well as I do, cross-pollinating into each other's lanes these days. So, yes, there are a lot of vendors to deal with. So picking the right vendor, how do you pick the right vendor? Picking the right vendor is, to me, simply based on what what, what your needs are. It seems simple, but you have to know what you need and the locations that you need that type of support. 
So you really have to understand your global mobility processes, your global mobility capabilities, your global mobility staff to ensure that you pick the right vendor, whatever the case may be in terms of immigration, relocation, tax, ensuring that you've got the right vendor to support those gaps that you may have within your global mobility function. So you're talking about outsourcing things rather than having people on your staff? No, not necessarily. No. If you've got staff, which in all of my previous roles, I've always had internal staff, but those support functions where you don't have the expertise in-house, for say, for example, immigration, and you don't have the immigration expertise in-house, but you've got a really big global mobility program and you need immigration coverage across the globe, well, then you can't use just a regional firm or a local firm that might be specific to U.S. immigration when you've got needs across the globe. So you have to really be able to take a look at your global mobility program and assess what you need and then determine the type of vendor that can support you. Yeah. I want to go a little bit deeper, but I don't want to take up all your time here because I want to get to levels three and four with you. But back to level one on framework, the strategy means what to you? Strategy means to me, what's your basis for your expat assignments? So, for example, at my last company, the strategy was, which might apply to most global mobility functions, but it was moving the right person at the right cost to the right location at the right time, I think would apply to most global mobility programs. So what's your strategy? You know, is it just to get the person from, from point A to point B? In some cases, that's true. Other companies want to ensure that they move the person in the most cost-effective way in terms of minimizing tax, minimizing relocation costs, and minimizing disruption to the employee and his or her family. So you need to figure out what your strategy is going to be as it relates to mobilizing an employee, country A to country B. Okay. So obviously that goes to selecting the right people, not just the employee, but when possible, the right family, (laughs) and to make sure that, well, at least you have a glimpse as to what possibilities there are of things going bad. Yeah. I would assume you do that. Absolutely. A good point there. I'm sure you and I have both experienced assignments that have gone bad. I know I have where a particular assignee that I work with fell in love with the glamour of relocating to another country and fell in love with the compensation and the benefits. And once he got there, he was in for a shock. He called me two months later and said he had made the worst decision ever. So it's critically important that you select the right person. You don't have someone that's in love with the glamour of moving to another country, because as you and I both know, there's a lot more to just moving from, you know, Houston to Lagos and having to live there on a daily basis. So in your most recent position, did you have a staff of that were segmented by these levels, one, two, three, four, or was this basically you as general contractor dealing with all the different services? In my last position, 
with this global mobility pyramid that you've seen, this was the roadmap that I had put in place to help us achieve global mobility excellence. In my last position, I had well over 60 people, 60 employees that were part of the global mobility function working in eight countries and 10 different locations. Boy, that's um, big. How big was that payroll? Significant. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> significant. So it was quite challenging, but this was the roadmap that I put in place to help us achieve global mobility operational excellence because, one, it was demanded by operations. It was demanded by the senior executives of the company. And this is the way that I thought that we could achieve that based on my years of experience, based on talking to people like you and working with some of the other incredibly smart global mobility people that I've met throughout my career. And honestly, when I've talked about global mobility operational excellence at some of the various conferences that I've been to, the overwhelming response was, Tony, this is fantastic. This is the type of information that I want to share with my manager or the senior executives at my company to help them understand this is what we need to help us become a more efficient and a more cost-effective global mobility function. So it's based on years of conversations, years of experience, but it's something that I believe it's a step-by-step -step process to help you achieve operational excellence you become a strategic partner within the company as well. Thank you very much for that clarification. I really appreciate it. So, Tony, tell me about the pyramid here. And if this pyramid, this beautiful thing that I'm looking at right now, so clearly describing and showing graphically the process and the multifaceted framework of a global mobility operation, when done right, is this effective in communicating easily to people within the corporate structure who don't know anything about mobility? Yes, I think so, Ed. I presented it to my HR leadership team at my last company, and I thought it was well understood. I also presented it to my global mobility team, and the response that I got, and I'm quoting here, Tony, this is the first time we've got an idea of where we're headed as a global mobility function. So I believe it's easy to understand. It can be adopted within any global mobility function. In some cases, you won't be able to use every piece of this, depending on the size of your global mobility function, the type of staff that you have. But it is a step-by-step -step process to help you achieve operational excellence at the same time, building these strategic alliances within your company to help you become more strategic. Because I believe if you engage all these other functions or partnerships, as, as I like to call them, if you engage these individuals and make them part of the process, they in turn will come to you when they need help and you get on the path to becoming a strategic partner. Nothing was more satisfying to me when I would have an HR business partner or a senior vice president come to me and say, hey, Tony, I've got this problem or I've got this issue. Can you help me out? 
So if you were to take a budget of, say, 100%, okay, so with a level one framework, level two, fit for purpose, number three, processes, where's the money? Which of those three levels have the most spend or the impact on spend? I believe the one with the most impact on spend, if you take out technology at level one, which is a framework, because not every not every global mobility function can afford to implement technology. So if you take that function out of framework, then all of your money is going to be spent on processes because it takes a great deal of effort to look at your processes. In my case, at my last company at Oceaneering, it takes a great deal of effort to look at your processes across the globe, especially if you've got locations that are all doing something different. And they've all been doing something different for the last four, five, ten years. And they're doing something different, not because they're trying to be different, but because they're trying to survive. So I believe all of the money will be spent in looking at your processes trying to harmonize your processes and trying to systematize your processes. That's where I believe the money will be spent. Now let's turn here and look at the idea of sharing this pyramid and the thinking behind it with stakeholders. I bet it was viewed favorably. Yeah, it was. It also seemed somewhat daunting at the same time, only because the global mobility function at my last company was so big and so spread out across the globe. So there was a great deal of effort being put into looking at our processes across the globe and trying to harmonize those processes across the globe. So yeah, it was received very well, but at the same time, there was a lot of effort needed to look at all of our processes. So in picking the right vendors, the the right stakeholders, if you will, were you inclined to limit their communication with the transferees? So in other words, they all had to go, every communication had to go through your office. Yes. Typically, every communication would go through the global mobility function at the company, and that was not uncommon. Certainly, if you're moving, there were certain things that happen within global mobility are certain steps within the relocation process where you've got vendors dealing directly with the assignee. But for the most part, Ed, we like to have the vendors go directly to global mobility through the global mobility advisor, and then the the advisor would work directly with the assignee. So that makes things a little bit more cumbersome, but it's actually better management, isn't it? Yeah, I think so, especially if you've got an in-house program like most companies do. It does ensure that you are aware of what's going on with the assignee. You are aware of where they are in the assignment process, in the assignment life cycle. So it does help when you can speak to what's going on with the assignee because quite often, again, when you start talking about becoming more strategic you're also having more conversations around senior staff that may need a developmental opportunity to go work abroad. 
and you've got that history around what that employee is doing. In some cases, you're aware of their success or they're having some issues on the assignment. And when you're in these conversations about moving someone to go fill a skills gap in another location or take a leadership role, a country manager's role, you've got some background on that individual because you've been hands-on. Now, what about the aspect of assignee performance management? Does this pyramid get involved in that aspect? In other words, managing the work of the assignee when they're on assignment. And hopefully the global mobility pyramid and the structure and the operations takes care of all the issues that a transferee may have other than personal issues. But what about the work performance? Is there a way that you guys would get involved in hovering or communicating with the transferee about their performance while on assignment? Typically, global mobility does not get involved in performance discussions unless someone in the business or someone in HR comes to global mobility and we're engaged to say that, hey, we're having some issues with this particular signee. We are thinking about sending them back home or we may be thinking about terminating them. What are the steps to do that? So again, I'll keep going back to becoming this strategic partner, Ed. When you have developed these partnerships with HR in the home and host location or the employee's manager in the home and host location, if you develop those relationships, they're going to call Global Mobility and say, hey, I've got this particular issue going on. What are the steps? Too often, I find And when I've talked to my colleagues, they are in similar positions where we've got home and host HR not engaging each other about a particular assignee, or the home and host manager are not engaging each other about a particular assignee. And global mobility, and I have often played, and many people who've heard me talk have heard me say that global mobility plays the role of a traffic cop meaning that we are directing traffic and engaging the right function, be it HR, comp and benefits, talent, whatever the case may be. If someone comes to us and and, and have a particular issue, many times Global Mobility will ask the question, okay, have you talked to the person's home HR? Have you talked to the person's home manager around what's the next step for this person whenever they come back home? So we don't necessarily get involved in the day-to-day operations or the performance, the day-to-day performance of the individual, but we do get involved when you start talking about next steps for this individual, or we should be involved when you start talking about next steps for the individual. That's where global mobility can play a key role and become strategic, have a voice at the table when you're talking about, okay, I've got someone that I want to promote to vice president in two years, but I think they need some experience working abroad. And they come to Global Mobility and say, okay, who is going to be up for repatriation in the next six months and what location are they in? So we get involved in those conversations that way. Does that help? Yes, it does. So basically that's in level two, fit for purpose, but obviously harmonizing, and that's from level three. 
Yeah. Right. Okay. So in clarifying roles and responsibilities, that's basically what we were just talking about, right? It is. And clarifying roles and responsibilities, it has a lot to do with ensuring that everyone stays in their lane and that HR is involved when they need to be involved. Global mobility is involved when they need to be involved and ensuring that you have a documented process around the steps for an expat assignment or a long-term assignment or a short-term assignment, that you've got the appropriate steps in place and that you've identified the roles of HR, the roles of comp and benefits, the role of immigration, and the role of global mobility so that everyone understands when they need to engage global mobility, when global mobility will engage HR, et cetera, et cetera. So this goes to making a change in your own staff or the staff of one of your vendors. So that goes to restructuring, I guess, when you notice is maybe a personality clash or somebody just isn't up to par with knowledge. Absolutely. You have to look internally and ensure that you've got the right people in the right jobs and look at skill sets to ensure that you've got an individual that has the right skill set not only currently, but you ensure that you put them in the proper role of what the organization is going to look like 12 months from now. So yeah, it's all about ensuring that you've got the right staff doing the right things and, as you mentioned, the right vendors to help you get there. Right. Well, that's a full-time job, isn't it? Yeah, it is more than a full-time job. Global mobility people, I often say we don't get a lot of credit. I find it very similar to working in payroll. We don't say thank you when we get our paycheck every week. It's only when we have a problem that we call it payroll. And global mobility is charged with a very important task of moving someone across the globe. And rarely do we get the appropriate thanks for getting a family across the globe. Occasionally, we do, and I love that feedback when I hear from from our assignees when they've had a pleasant experience, but many times, the only time global mobility will hear from someone from the C-suite is if there's a problem, but it's also part of the job. It's part of what we do, and I don't look at that as a negative. We actually take those opportunities, and I call them opportunities, to learn and do better next time. So is there basic training or a college degree in mobility? No, everything I learned, I learned on the job. In my first global mobility role, I had little knowledge of global mobility. And I just got my hands dirty in my first global mobility job at Shell Oil Company. I was over expat compensation. And I worked with my staff and I sat with each one of them and learned what they did. And I work with great vendors like Air Inc., who I have a lot of fondness for because they really trained me in global mobility 16, 17 years ago. So there is no degree. It's all hands-on. Most people that I know in global mobility did not start in global mobility. They started somewhere else. But once you start working in global mobility, I don't know many people that ever leave because it's such a great job. Every day you're doing something different. You get to travel across the globe. 
So the education is on the job. So we're talking about engagement and communication. So when you look around and you see the impact of the incoming tech, AI and robots, and (laughs) this is not human, but what do you think about the impact of incoming tech on the mobility management process? There must be a good place for it. I believe there is a good place for it. I'm not sure where that place is, though, Ed, and I will be the first to admit that I've read a few things about AI and leveraging technology, and and I've seen what some of the vendors are doing these days. But at the same time, I've talked to some of my colleagues just as recent as last week around going back to some of the old ways, and what I mean by old ways, are more hands-on. So I love technology. I'm a firm believer in technology and how we can leverage technology to, to do better. I also believe that in global mobility, that there still is a place for some of the quote-unquote old-school ways and ensuring that you've got more hands-on. I feel we have to find the right balance, though. And today, I just don't know what that balance is. So what do you think of the idea of the policies, the reach out, the communications are all online and in an app or some kind of a website that transferees anywhere in the world can go so they don't call you, they go there to that site or that place, and that becomes like a common meeting place, if you will, for getting answers quicker or better or simpler or what. What do you think of that? I absolutely love it, where you've got a place where an assignee can go and get a quick answer to a lot of the common questions that come up during a particular relocation or or expat assignment. I absolutely love that, where you can log on to an app and see the status of your shipment, for example, or you can see the status of your visa, for example. I think that's great. Again, I go back to what I said earlier. If you can't find the answer there, then you need to be able to quickly get in touch with your global mobility advisor or your immigration specialist or the relocation company if you have questions. And again, I love technology, but if you need that one-on-one touch or that one-on-one service and need to be able to speak to a live person versus punching a button on a menu tree, then you need to be able to to have that ability as well. So again, I love technology, but we certainly have to have the right balance because after all, companies invest hundreds of thousands of dollars to move someone and their family to three years to Dubai or whatever the case may be. And you want that assignment to go well. And there are going to be cases where that assignee will need to speak to someone about whatever the case may be. And I know assignees have made comments to me where it was nice that they were able to reach a global mobility advisor and speak to them and get some comfort in, okay, this is happening. I don't need to worry about it. So somewhere we have to find the balance in that. So talking about communications and your concept of communications triangle, 
Did you have the occasion to write an article or have some kind of a place within the company newsletter that went company-wide or went to certain managers across business units so that people knew you and the service you perform in the talent life cycle rather than just sit and wait for a communication from a business unit? Do you have or would you like to have a proactive presence in the company newsletter if there is such a thing? Oh, yes, certainly. We did not have that at my last company, but I certainly believe that the global mobility function needs to have a presence. And we had begun some discussions around setting up a portal, an intranet site, or global mobility where we can talk about these things or at least have some of this stuff there to be looked at. Because communication, I don't care what function you work in, communication is absolutely key, certainly within your global mobility organization and external to your global mobility organization. And I came up with a concept, and I call it the communication triangle. And that is, and I shared this with the global HR leadership team at one of our offsite meetings. And I said, look, when you communicate something, certainly when it involves global mobility, and I talked from global mobility's perspective on this, is that there are at least two other people that need to know, at a minimum, two other people that need to know. And if someone would come to global mobility, for example, and they said, hey, I need to move this person from Aberdeen to Houston. So the first question, okay, who in Houston knows about this? Does HR know about it? Okay, HR needs to know in Houston. What about the person's new manager in Houston? Does that person know? Have you had a conversation with compensation around the appropriate salary structure? So if you just take a moment to think about what it is when you want to move someone and who else needs to know, and the same works if, let's say, an HR business partner finds out about a particular expat assignment for someone that is going from, say, Houston to the Netherlands. Okay, does global mobility know about it? Okay, well, we need to engage global mobility first. Does talent know? Does comp and benefits know? Does tax know? So all of these different triangles that you can reach out to or individuals or functions that will make up this communication triangle so that you ensure that every time you get global mobility involved, or if global mobility is the first point of contact, global mobility can get a couple other functions involved that need to know, and it just builds out from that. So that way, each and every time there's something involved, if you take five minutes to think about who else needs to know, there's always at a minimum, and I say at a minimum, there's always at a minimum two other functions or people in your network that need to know about something. So to what extent do you have the relationships in the perfect world? And then tell me about reality. To what extent are the relationships between the head of global mobility and business unit management or even C-suite? Or where is that communication so that your function and your capabilities are more top of mind? 
Those are key communications and key connectors that you need to have with business unit managers. And if given the opportunity, I think it's vital for global mobility leaders to get out and speak directly and have face-to-face conversations with these operations managers. I had the opportunity at my last company to speak at the global operations managers meeting and talk about global mobility and where global mobility is headed. That way, you can start to build those relationships with those individuals because they will be key, absolutely key to your success. And having those connections, again, I go back to becoming a strategic partner, having those connections with those individuals will be key to getting your message out, building those bridges, and having them seek you out as well when they have particular issues or they need advice on a particular move. So you're absolutely right. It's key that you have those bridges in place with operations leaders. I think another point that I'll just reference here really, really quickly. In my last two roles, I was fortunate to sit in my most recent role. I was fortunate to sit on the global HR leadership team. And in my prior role to that, when I was over the Americas region, I was on the uh, Americas HR leadership team. So that's important because it gives global mobility a voice at the HR leadership table. And you get to hear where the company is going from a strategic perspective, and you can see how global mobility can fit in with the plans for the company two, three, four years down the road. Fascinating stuff, Tony Patio. Thank you. So I would think this triangle that you have here, uh, global mobility, operational excellence, and the four levels is dynamite. And I think that This is extremely valuable for everybody connected with the industry, and in particular, the younger generation that is now in management, corporate mobility management, more and more. So what is your view of this triangle being shared openly? I published this, Ed, as you know, I published this on LinkedIn. And one of my reasons for doing that is the first time I talked about this global mobility roadmap, and I believe it was at NFTC, I got bombarded with questions for several days after that from my colleagues and people that I met. So my entire purpose for putting this out there and publishing this on LinkedIn was to share my journey and Hope that others can take this and benefit from it and perhaps help them in their organization or their global mobility journey as well. So very grateful and happy to speak with you today about it, Ed, and I'm happy to share that with others as well. It's it's out there on LinkedIn, so others can go out there and look at it as well. Well, as I mentioned earlier, I'm honored to be able to republish the article with the graphic in Global HR Newsroom, we have worldwide audience of, frankly, I'm not sure how many, but according to Google Analytics, if you can believe all that, it's about a thousand a week who tune in to us. This is a gripping thing here. This graphic is really so colorful, number one, easy to follow, number two, 
and has such value add from uh, your wisdom and experience in dealing with building an organization basically from scratch, taking it all away, and then seeing it being implemented. So I congratulate you, Tony Petty. That's great. Thank you, Ed, very much. And thank you for giving me this opportunity to speak to you. Pleasure. How can people contact you? Yes, you can contact me directly via LinkedIn, or you can contact me directly via email at tony.patio, P-A-T-T-I-O, at hotmail.com. Okay, Tony Patio, thank you for being our guest today in Global HR Radio, service of globalbusinessnews.net. Thank you, Tony Patio. Thanks, Ed. Take care now. Bye-bye. Yes, I think to myself, what a wonderful